Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. A local book club designed to encourage African-American boys to read is getting national attention and changing lives one book at a time. Books and Bros Book Club was founded by a young entrepreneur with help from his mom. Joining me now, Winnie Caldwell and her son, Sydney Keys III. They are co-founders of Books and Bros Book Club. Thank you both so much for being here. I am so excited. Thank you this for having This is pretty us. cool. Thank, Thank you, Sydney. So, Sydney, just tell me, how did this all come about? Yeah, so Books and Bros kind of came about when my mom took me to ICME Bookstore, which is the only African-American children's bookstore in St. Louis. And she took me there as a surprise. So it was over my summer break, and I was a kid in the fifth grade going to the sixth grade. So I'm assuming, hey, it's going to be Dave and Buster's or something like that. But no, we pull up to the parking lot of a bookstore. And I'd always loved to read, but that just wasn't what I was expecting, generally. <laughs> and so I was like, hey, a bookstore, yay. <laughs> it's like, this is cool, right? <laughs> yeah. But... I, I kept the open mind, so when we walked inside, I picked up a book, Danny Dollar Millionaire Extraordinaire, and that book, I had a black boy who looked like me on the cover on, the, on a million dollar bill. So I thought to myself, money, somebody who looks like me, I think that would be a good book. And it was about financial literacy as well. And so I ended up reading that book and I just couldn't put it down because I'd never really been exposed to African-American literacy besides from history, like Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. But you want to see more than that. You want to see fantasy, sci-fi. You want to see characters who, who look like you and you can relate to. And so when I was reading that, I just couldn't put it down. And my mom saw this. And so she took a Facebook Live video that went viral with 65,000 views. And we're like, why is it so popular? It's just a black boy reading African-American literacy. And we realized you don't really see that in the community as often as you should. And so I actually asked the bookstore owners if they had a book club that I could join because I was just so moved by the book that I was reading. And they said, no, the only one they knew it was for girls. And so young Sydney said, hey, what if I just start one for the boys? Because my mom had always been an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's pretty cool, young man. And how old were you when you started this book club? I was 10 years old when I started the book club. And how old are you now? I'm 14 now. I just wow. had my birthday. Wow. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. So, Mom, what was it that inspired you to take him to the African-American bookstore? Um, as a mother, especially as a single mother raising him, it was hard to make sure that he was exposed to, um, you know, just kind of like what we think of as extracurricular activities. So, you know, he was with me when I was in college full time and working two jobs, and it was hard to just simply get to like the library sometimes. Um, and once I finished school and graduated and I had this extra time and I paid attention to his movements, I noticed how enthralled he was with just any type of book. Um, and even like we would go to church and sometimes if he would sit in regular service with me, he would bring a book so that way he could be entertained 
if he couldn't understand what the pastor was talking about. <laughs> and so um, I noticed his love of reading and I had a activist friend who told me about I See Me and I was like, we have to get there. And I felt like it was my personal mission to make sure that we got there. And when I took him, we both were just so excited about the store. Um, we were in awe and that's why I had to capture that Facebook Live video, you know, just showing the store to everyone. Yeah, and did you get like overwhelmed or were you surprised when you saw it went viral? Oh yeah, I was extremely surprised. My phone was blowing up. I'm getting all these notifications. I'm like, what is going on? And all these people are like, what is this store? I want to go. There were people out of St. Louis, like they wanted to see it. Um, and I was like, wow. And so the, it was funny because Pamela from I See Me, she's one of the co-owners and she called me. She's like, who are you? <laughs> um, I'm like, I'm just a mom of a boy who loves to read. Um, and I, I remember I asked Sydney, I said, do you want to have this moment of like 15 minutes of fame or do you want to make an impact? And he, that's when he asked about, you know, a book club and I took off the mom hat and put on the momager hat and helped him make it happen. That is so awesome. So tell me about the book club. How does it work? I noticed you brought a kit with you. Yeah, so the book club is for boys the ages 7 to 13 where we meet up once a month on the first Sunday of every month. And so essentially every month when you come to the meetups, you get a box. Each member gets a box that has the book in it, a bookmark, other trinkets, as well as chips and other cool things. Uh -huh. But this is the box that all the boys get. This is actually a comic book that Marvel made of me. I so know, right? This is from Disney, right? <laughs> yeah. So this, this is amazing. Yeah, so this is what the boys would normally get in a box. Uh -huh. So like this book right here, this is the book that we're reading currently. Uh-huh. What the is the name of this one? This is called The Getaway, The Clean Getaway. Clean Getaway by Nick Stone. Yeah. And so how do you decide which book to read? So normally I'll decide the book that we read. So I like to like kind of switch it up. So like if we read historical fiction one month, then maybe I'll go to like a sci-fi or maybe like a history book the next month. But also we have other ways of choosing as well. So like the members will be like, hey, can we read the second book of this is so-and-so? Because I really like the first one. And so they'll always uh, suggest books to me and I'll always do that. And like an example would be when we read the entire Scraps of Time series by Purchase, by Purchase It Seemed Like It's Sick because the boys just love that series so much. Wow. So how many members are in your club now? So currently we have around 70 at the moment because it's a subscription-based business, but we've reached over 300. Really? Yeah. So they must be around the world. This is something that's viral? Yeah. So this is so, so Books and Bros is international. Really? Yeah. That is so awesome. So I have seen you, young man, on Good Morning America, Steve Harvey Show. Oprah Winfrey gave you a shout out on <laughs> Steve Harvey. I mean, what do you think about all of this attention? I guess I just want to make something that will impact the world with all this attention because African-American literacy isn't really shown as much as it should be. There's only a, like a little small percentage of books that are for kids that are actually have a main character that's African-American. And I want to change the narrative that black boys don't read. And that shouldn't be something that, be sh that, sh that should be surprising whenever somebody asks me what's my favorite thing they do. And I say reading. Yeah. I want that to become the normal and get rid of that stereotype that black boys don't read. And then what has been the reaction of your peers and other uh, young black boys and girls for that matter? Yeah, so the reaction of my peers in general, they've just been like really appalled by what I'm doing. Because I'll be like, it's just a book club. But the book club is so much more than just a book club. It's like a brotherhood that I'm making and like a bond through reading and something that isn't normally shown enough in the African-American community, especially by kids. And I think that they're just like kind of surprised and like, I guess, 
<laughs> They're like, wow. Wow. <laughs> right, right, right. And so are there adult mentors involved as well? Yes. So at the meetups, we have uh, other, another aspect of Books and Bros called Big Bros, which is basically it's adult males who are kind of like the mentors and also help with the meetups. So they'll give you advice and they also come around at the meetups and help a lot. Yeah, Winnie, you must be incredibly proud of your son. I am, I'm so in awe of him every day. Um, he never ceases to amaze me. Um, and his mind is just growing. So as Books and Bros is growing, um, you know, as you stay updated with the program, you'll see that Sydney will have more input, you know, and we'll be making some changes soon. So, you know, we just wanna keep growing and keep empowering these boys to read. And then why is it so important that our young boys and girls read books with characters and storylines that are important to them and their culture and, and with characters that look like them. I think, so what really um, inspired Sydney to even open up the books at ICME was because he could relate to the kids on the cover, um, especially like you mentioned Danny Dollar, seeing yourself on a dollar bill, you know, it may sound cliche, but it needs to be realistic. And I think when he saw that, he was like, wow, like, I could do something of power, you know, it, it just, it looks more real rather than looking at a historic figure from like the 1900s. Yeah. Um, and so. And he's a superhero now. Yeah. Disney has made Sydney a superhero. That's what we're seeing on the screen. That is awesome. Yeah. Did, how, how did that happen? So funny thing, um, they reached out to us. Um, they had been seeing all of the work that Books and Bros has done, all of the efforts that Sydney has made um, for not only his community, but nationally, and uh, they wanted to support. And so they said, hey, you know, would you be interested if we just kind of follow you around um, and showcase what your mission looks like behind the scenes? And I truly appreciated that because with entrepreneurship, it's not always easy. Um, I'm doing this now full time uh, to support Sydney's efforts and it's been a journey. And so, you know, we've always kind of been showcased in the glamorous side, but the people need to see the, the grassroots behind it all as well. And, and what does that look like? Uh, it's a lot of late nights. Uh, we're packing the boxes that you've seen. Uh, Sydney is reviewing. He's reading a lot of books to make sure that it meets the needs and the interests of the boys. Um, it's me advocating for us and getting, you know, sponsorships, getting donations, getting books, <laughs> you know, because the more that you grow, the more cost goes into all of that. And so it's just really sustaining the business. And then where do you get your books? Um, from a plethora of places. So I see me, of course, they have supported us a great deal and provided books for us. Um, also Penguin Random House has been a huge asset. Um, and a lot of the donors, that's where the majority of the funds goes to make sure that we have books for the boys because they get to keep these forever. I've had someone ask me like, hey, you know, is it for them to bring back? And it's like, no, this is for their personal collection forever. Yeah, and then so what do you need right now? I would say right now is support from the schools. Uh, Sydney would like for Books and Bros to be implemented into local area schools as well as national um, so we can have chapters in other cities. And we want to make sure to meet the kids, meet the boys where they are, which is at their school. Yeah. Sydney, what is your overall plan? What's next for you? I guess what's next for me is actually what she just kind of said. That's what my goal is to get Books and Bros national because I, I don't want transportation to be an issue. And although we do host the meetups online as well as in person. It's not really the same when you tune in online. And so I feel like every boy should have that same opportunity to have a brotherhood like I have in person and be able to physically joke around with your friends and get advice from your mentors. I think that's just a really big part of the book club. And I and think that's an awesome part of the book club. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Having that one-on-one -on -one and that 
in-person experience. Yeah, so how can folks get in touch with you guys? Yes, they can go to our website, booksandbros.com. Uh, if you go to the contact page, there is a form there as well as our email address goes directly to us, info at booksandbros.com. They can reach us there. Yeah, so Cindy, how excited are you about this? <laughs> I guess I'm just like really excited because I, I guess like my favorite thing about Books and Bros is just being able to make a difference and seeing boys happy about, and people in general happy about something that I started and that I know that I'm making a difference. And so I guess it just makes me excited being able to know that I'm helping in some way. And you are, and we are so proud of you. And so thank you so much for creating your book club, you and mom, and thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank All you. right, you're so welcome. And stay with us when we come back. We're gonna tell you how St. Louis University is tracking the coronavirus using technology. Stay with us, we are back in a moment. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for The Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome back to the Pulse of St. Louis. You know, St. Louis University is playing a key role using technology to track the coronavirus, which has claimed thousands of lives around the world. Joining me now, Dr. Enval Shockham, Associate Director of GeoSLU, and Dr. Tim Wimkin. He is Associate Professor of the Center for Health Outcomes Research. Thank you both so much for being here. I appreciate it. Dr. Wimkin, let's start with you and talk about the coronavirus. What exactly is it? Yeah, so the coronavirus is a respiratory virus. So a typical virus that infects your respiratory tract and causes symptoms like coughing and a fever, runny nose sometimes. But this one seems to be a little bit different that it can also cause pneumonia. So an infection in your lung it makes it really difficult for you to be able to breathe and can cause kind of these severe diseases like we're seeing in China. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me right now, how many people have died from the coronavirus? So with the current reports, it looks like just over 2,000 people, 2,100 people have, have died thus far. And you talked about it being a respiratory virus. So what exactly does it do to the body? How does it impact the body? Because we're hearing all these numbers about the number of people who unfortunately have died because of this virus. Sure. Yeah, so when the virus gets into your body, and the usual transmission route of things like this are, is a, via a droplet route. So when you cough or sneeze or yell in someone's face, um, respiratory droplets, mucus, snot, that kind of thing, comes out and it can you know, get on you or get on the table and you touch the table and touch your eye without washing your hands and that virus gets into your body um, via that route. Uh, migrates down and different viruses have different places they like to hang out in your body. This particular virus likes to hang out all along the respiratory tract, uh, particularly down in the lower part of your respiratory tract in your lungs. Yeah. Uh, that kind of is why it causes uh, pneumonia. Yeah, Dr. Shockham, just tell us about this technology and how it's being used to track the coronavirus. So I think for the first time, or we are able to use a lot of data and data has been um, siloed in so often. So our systems haven't historically worked well together. And I think that we're at a place where we're able to share local federal um, data around infections, who's getting infected and where they are, what are their tracks of where are they, where, what are their patterns of activity in their communities, and then how, who's getting infected. So when we share data, we know more, and um, we're, having, we're learning more as, as more leadership is coming from World Health Organization and sharing those data from China and around the world and, and giving us ideas and images of where is this a, a challenge uh, geospatially and how do we respond to the health needs by location? What are the health needs? So, Right now, we don't need a lot of resources in St. Louis to combat coronavirus, but 
there are places in the world that need are more concentrated in need. And so how is the data actually collected? Our, health, our local health clinics report often, so traditionally our local health clinics will report whether there is a test, certain tests. And some in the United States, we have reportable, required reportable diseases. We, the flu is not, for, for example, the flu is not required to be reported. So we don't actually know how many cases of the flu we have. And that is basically mimicked in, in coronavirus, but we know how many tests are happening and where the tests are happening. So we're able to see those data and then track where the health clinics are um, doing those tests and the results of those tests. So t tell me about the process. So are the health clinics actually taking data, feeding it into a computer that is shared with other health organizations around the world? Is that how it's tracked? Theoretically, I don't know exactly how we're doing it. Uh, it's being done in China. Mm -hmm. um, we do know that traditionally, this is how it works in the US. We, uh, depending on the health issue, sometimes if it's a, a certain reportable disease, it gets tested and reported to the state health department that feeds it to the CDC for our Centers for Disease uh, Control and Prevention. So if we think about how that is, t so it's the, the healthcare provider delivering it or uh, getting, ordering the test and then reporting those tests results. And then we have to see how those data are collated across the world. We're, we're experiencing, um, because there's so, much, there's so much international travel and potential for travel, we're seeing different patterns and, and how, that, uh, how that looks and feels is different than any other uh, previously uh, studied diseases in this way. Dr. Wemkin, tell us, how is the coronavirus treated? So right now, uh, there's no specific treatment for the virus once you're infected. It's more, mostly supportive care. So you might get IVs to make sure that you don't get dehydrated. Um, you know, luckily, most of the infections seem to be relatively mild. I mean, of course, it's terrible that um, so many people have died thus far. Um, but of the total 75,000 cases that have been reported thus far, most of the disease is pretty mild. So, um, but if it's so mild, how come people are losing their lives? Yeah, um, and it's a lot of it has to do with uh, the particular virus's interaction with the individual and the immune response that that individual mounts to that particular infection. And a lot of times with these viruses, it's not uh, the overwhelming infection that causes death. It's your body's overactive immune response to that particular pathogen. So are there any vaccines right now that are in the works to try to prevent this or to cure this virus? Yeah, absolutely. There's several candidate vaccines that look um, promising in basic science studies in the laboratory thus far. Uh, we don't have anything really uh, being used in, in clinics yet. We hope that's pretty rapid. I mean, we saw in, in 2009 with the H1N1 pandemic of influenza that that vaccine was created and, and pushed to market very, very quickly. So we hope that we can do at least that good this time around too. Do you have any information in regards to whether the coronavirus has in infected anyone here in the St. Louis area? As far as we know, no one has been infected in the St. Louis area um, currently. Yeah, so Dr. Shockham, when you talk about technology and, and what SLU is doing, paint a picture for us. Tell us more about what's happening at sure. the university. Sure. 
So we are, uh, at St. Louis University, we've developed a geospatial institute where we're focusing also at geospatial health. And so that arm is really looking at how location matters to our health outcomes broadly. This is one example of when we're looking at infectious disease and how they're mapped and we can are able to identify what resources need for, uh, are needed for prevention, for treatment, and, for, and hopefully soon to be vaccine delivery. So what kind of things and where do we need to prioritize uh, locate, locations for populations that most need? So those are some of the studies that we're looking at uh, predicting, predicting where and how to get uh, services to those places. Further, we're looking at how airports might serve as a infection route. So if, you ha if we're able to model some of that airport uh, traffic and human traffic patterns, when we see those, those overlapping, we can say, okay, there's a higher proportion of people coming in from this country, where they're going. So we have a lot of connecting flights and what does that look like? So we can predict some, some of the, we're working on predicting some of the um, potential infection based on where you're coming from and where you're going to in the state. How do you collect that data? Because I'm curious about that. You know, there have been some flights that have been canceled and sure. people are tested as soon as they come in, they've been in quarantine and all. So how do you track that data? So what we, it's a great question. So what we are doing right now, we're collating data from, so using data from the Department of Transportation, for example, they have all of the flight data that if it touches a U.S. territory, we have that map. Um, and so we're able to see where they came from and where they go after. So for all of these flights, we have those, those data, there's lots of them. And so we're able to use machine learning technology to analyze this, this uh, potential for tracking where infection may happen. We know that um, there, are, there are services that are identifying airports that are either closed, screening, what types of screening they're doing, and how consistent are their screenings. So I think that's an important factor when we're seeing um, that international travel is ubiquitous. And so how do we make sure that every airport is adhering to certain protocols that say, let's screen and make sure that we, we don't put people at risk? for those who have symptoms. I think the challenge is that we don't know what happens, we don't actively know what happens when people don't have symptoms. There are, has an initial study that identified that it may be transmissible even if uh, you don't have symptoms. So you don't know that you're sick and, you're, and if we have screening technologies and protocols in airports, we don't know that at this will absolutely um, be transmitted or not. Yeah. So, Dr. Wimken, what do we do in situations like that? Because someone could be infected, but you don't know it yet. Yeah, absolutely. And they're walking around, talking to people, coughing and doing all the things that you say can cause and transmit this virus. Absolutely. So it's a great time of the year, technically, to, to have this kind of education about this because it, it, it's flu season. and We've had millions and millions of cases of influenza this year with uh, many deaths. Um, so the same mechanisms of prevention for flu work for coronavirus as well. So, uh, and it, it kind of goes with, with everything, personal hygiene, you know, you make sure that if you're coughing or sneezing, you want to cough or sneeze into your elbow, you don't want to go into your hands and then shake someone's hand. Um, make sure you wash your hands and really hand hygiene is really critical to preventing most infectious diseases. Um, you touch the table again and you touch your eye before you eat, after you use the restroom. Um, there's some new data that suggests that coronavirus transmission uh, through that fecal oral route as much as we don't like to talk about it, is probably one of the main uh, mechanisms right now. Uh, that's why we're seeing so much uh, this inf uh, transmission on cruise ships and stuff. Um, but so washing your hands, coughing into your elbow. Uh, if someone's really sick, 
you know, just try to social distance yourself. Stay away from them. Three to six feet, kind of an arm's length is a good distance. You don't want to be a close talker. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of doing those traditional prevention mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, in a mask, for example, it's not right really, because we see that. You know, we see a lot of people in China. Yeah, they're wearing the mask, so so that's not really going to do a whole lot, probably, uh, mm -hmm. as far as protecting yourself. A mask is going to be really good if you're sick to keep those particles from going else. out. Exactly, exactly. All right, thank you so much. Got to take a break. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We are back in a moment. Welcome back. We are talking about the coronavirus and St. Louis University is playing a major role in tracking this virus. And Dr. Shockham, just fill me in and tell me what role is social media playing in all of this? So we've had a great opportunity to think about how Twitter and Facebook really thinks uh, can serve us as identifying where are there places where treatment needs to go, um, where are their concentrated symptoms. We can talk about that and map it out and um, based on their Twitter and social media, broadly social media. That's yeah. pretty impactful. It is. Dr. Winkham, you know, my final question to you is how do viruses like this get started? Yeah, so it seems like a lot of these end up being spillover from the animal population. So as humans tend to move more and more into areas that used to be you know, forests or whatever, where it used to just be animal habitats. As we get more in contact with that, there's viruses and, and bacteria and various pathogens that were living commensally with those animals and they kind of spill over into the human population. And that's how it gets started. Yeah. All right, well, thank you both so much for thank being you. here. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for The Pulse of St. Louis. If you missed any part of the show, download The Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And remember, for news 24-7, download the free Fox 2 and News 11 apps. I will see you next time. <laughs>